I think we need to start timestamping these like exactly when we do these. I know they're supposed to be evergreen, but mm. um, this is Thursday, January 26th at 8.52 a.m. Pacific time. Right. We want to make sure to get out ahead of it just in case we say something that would later be found offensive because of some events that might have happened later on in that day that hadn't happened yet because we recorded earlier. Well, the uh, more important reason is because when we were looking up cats and you mentioned Siamese cats, I started looking into uh, the origin of the word Siamese twins. And if you recall, this was two weeks ago. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, it was before the birthday anniversary of Chang and Ang Bunker. Yep. The uh, conjoined twins that came from Siam. Uh, which is how it's pronounced, mm -hmm. uh, that is now Thailand. Uh, and <clears throat> I was shocked reading through their Wikipedia on how they came over in sort of an indentured servitude model to be displayed at sideshows and kind of not even sideshows. They were shown in hotels so the person could skirt the tax regulations on like sideshow yeah, events. like the uh, the original like Barnum and Bailey type of deal, right? And uh, yeah, so I was looking into how they wanted to escape indentured servitude and kind of just forced their way out of it, ran away from it. Which, uh, no fault to them, totally understand. I would too. Could run. Uh, they could they, run twice as fast as a normal man. Exactly, and then they ran right into North Carolina and got <laughs> slaves. Um, <laughs> Which is just an amazing turn of events for that time in history when people are like, I can't believe that somebody would force me to work to pay them off for shipping me over here. This is ridiculous. How about I steal some other humans? What if I just force owned them, them outright? <laughs> right. Um, hey, you know, we learned that with pedagogy of the oppressed. Like, uh, what oh, yeah. the whole the whole thing is even when you overthrow your oppressors what generally happens is the people who overthrow it end up adopting all the same behaviors as the oppressors did because it's it's now it's my turn to be mean to the freshmen <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's crazy um so i looked that up um i of course saw the story of how they went hunting and uh, a guy was harassing them so they yelled at him or they threw a rock and no he threw a rock at them and then they hit him with the butt of their gun and then shot at him um yeah i learned all of this stuff before it was on your little radio show <laughs> yeah we you know we were a little bit ahead we're always ahead of ijb we're always ahead of the hang zone but that's kind of the great thing is like if you listen to our podcasts you'll the few people that do have this little bit of insider knowledge, like you're you're getting mm -hmm. a peek through the wormhole before before the events actually happen. Right, we're riding the Taurus at the the cresting edge of the fold. Exactly. Uh, yeah, like surfers, right? Yeah, you can see the horizon on the other side. You know, you can see it coming around. What's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything, like.
say this is because these these damn spokes bears have gone woke (laughs) (laughs) have you seen this is it different than the spokes candies it is it is different than the spokes candies uh a and w of course we all know a and w has the the great root beer bear sorry what <laughs> they, they were i've never known they had a bear mascot <laughs> they've had it since 68 or something yeah uh all, never all the a and w i drank as a kid and the a and w restaurant that opened and everything i can never remember bear branding but <laughs> i know that's what <laughs> is. yeah um but the a and w then put up a they put up a uh, notice saying America let's talk since 1963 Rudy the great root bear I still can't it's hard to say <laughs> has been our beloved spokes bear we knew people would notice because he's literally a six foot tall bear wearing an orange sweater but now we get it even a mascot lacking pants can be polarizing <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so they threw pants on this bear okay um, and I'm just tired of it you know well, when are they first, gonna stop? Was is is Rudy a man bear? You know, it's amazing that you liberals are so concerned with what's with what's inside of somebody's pants. I'm just uh, trying to understand to why we need to cover genderize. it up. You know, if we got to cover uh, I, it up, identifies as male uh, because they say he right uses he him pronouns. Um, but yeah, I just needed to get ahead of this because I know this is probably going to be on something, Muse in the News or whatever, <laughs> um, and they're going to make some pretty pretty bad jokes about it. Um, not, not that uh, I haven't, but it begs the question, um, now in liberal America, when a bear shits in the woods, does he have to unbutton his slacks first? <laughs> Well, we've already had the problem with like bears being the branding sponsor for Charmin uh, toilet paper. <laughs> this is right, and the implication that the the they're selling you in the commercial why Charmin is so good is that you won't have streaks in your underwear. But right. none of the bears in the house are wearing any clothes at any time. But they find the streaky underwear on the baby bear's floor, which implies that the whole family the just. is around naked the whole time in the house together and maybe they're more worried about the streaks getting on everything not just the underwear that they seemingly never wear yeah you think they put plastic on their couches and or maybe it's that's the way that you keep goldilocks out you just cover everything in shit just scat it up yep (laughs) surely that'll work in the porridge um yeah (laughs) no yeah bears have to have pants what i don't think any bears had pants in our childhood yogi didn't have pants didn't need it no he he had a a tie he had a necktie and a collar and a and a hat like a like an old press junkie hat yeah the relationship between 
Yogi and Boo Boo also always confused me. Um, and Yogi Bear. Okay, I get it. Like Yogi Berra. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Boo Boo, what? What is he named after? I don't know. Boo Boo Berra. Betty Betty Boo. Boo. I I have no idea. Maybe there's some kind of Boo Boo sidekick. I don't know. It's not a baseball reference. Yogi Bear's birthday next week. And then they're going to discover that Boo Boo Bear is named after Yogi Berra's wife. (laughs) His His little wife accomplice who helped him come up with all those great sayings and taught him how to catch so good. I don't know. I don't think it's a, it's a wife. Um, okay. Well, I'm sure if I dig down this hole, I can find something, <laughs> you know, voiced by Don Messick, who died in 1997. Uh, may he rest in peace. Where's his controversy tab? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have one. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm Berenstain Bears. Um, they all wore clothes like full uh, overalls, shirts. Mom, even in their nightgowns, like mom had the full ankle length yeah, yeah. nighty and the night hat and everything. Uh, she always wore that, didn't she? Maybe was she always just in her pajamas? She just still suffering from like postpartum from having those two kids. I thought it was something where it's kind of like a misogynistic stay-at-home mom thing. but um, And they also live in a treehouse, which is kind of weird for bears. I don't know. Yeah. The, the funny thing about the Bernstein bears, too, uh, everyone talks about, I swear it was Bernstein. Yeah. Yeah, you were also like four. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't read. <laughs> well, and, and, and just the, the added thing where... I don't know if it was just a Texas thing or just a bunch of the way that people read, like they would pronounce it that way all the time. And so when you first like became aware that it's Berenstain, like if your whole life, your mom's always been saying, go get the Berenstain bears book. Cause everything's yeah. bear. Yeah. 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 Staying. It's, you know, you follow the same vowel sound throughout the whole word. Um, yeah, I Burstein. guess that's the mind. Yeah. Baronstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but, I think those. But I, but books, I do remember Mandela dying. So, right, right. That's what I was going to bring up in next. prison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not becoming prime minister or put on their money or anything. No, I, no. A political prisoner. Yep. That's why it's all still a white nation. It's, it's nation of the whites. Right. Uh, essentially, haven't you heard of um, die ant word? Yeah. 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 Have you ever heard somebody speak Afrikaans, by the way? No. Uh, there was someone in college I knew, and uh, the only time I heard her speak it once, because like her mom called or something, it is so odd to listen to, because it sounds like a German person trying to make up English words. It is oh, so yeah. close to English. <laughs> uh, it's insane. So yeah, Definitely I guess then I guess it is a colonizer language. I don't know. How do we define that one? I think it is. Yeah. Um why don't we just say yes? You know, we'll get ahead of it again. <laughs> yeah, get just, ahead of the radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're staking our claim in 2023. You know, you you take enough shots, you're going to make some. That's what Gretzky right. said, right? Yeah. 
this is this is how we end up getting canceled too, though. And then we can become the guys who uh, only listen to canceled comedians, and right? Right. Uh, but, complain about but the culture. Do you understand how much more famous we'll get if we get canceled? And then we can talk about how we were censored and everything. Because yeah. you know, big stream academia, they all they want to do is keep with their narrow-minded viewpoints. They don't want to hear from the truth. They like to bury their heads in the sand and shoot down anyone who has a different idea. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been waiting to get some haters. I'm just too nice of a boy. Man, uh, we, so we were at, at breakfast this morning, and uh, the oh, were you doing your your weekly breakfast thing again? Yeah, weekly Bible study. Oh, and nice. uh, oh, I didn't know that was actually called Bible study. Two old uh, two old guys were over in the opposite corner of the of the little diner, and. Uh, Going on and uh, started talking about uh, Gobekli Tepe and being like, okay, they had the great point of, you know, I don't think there's ever been a civilization that didn't just stand up on the shoulders of the civilization that came before them. Ooh. So, okay. It's, it's a good point. It's a good point. Must be a much more advanced civilization. All civilizations have gotten less advanced as they stood on the shoulders of the more advanced one. Uh, well, so were they thinking that the ancient apocalypse did happen? Oh yeah, it's to totally okay, huge okay, advanced okay. society, and it's been it's really it's an erasement of our culture that people don't want to talk about this more. <laughs> Which then that See? was like that sounds like a white supremacist talking point. <laughs> 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 you hit about eight of the 14 words there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's pretty that's fascinating that somebody can have the insight of like, you know, uh, nearly hitting on the head of colonization or uh, something like that, but totally missing, which is why <laughs> those sorts of things are kind of dangerous because it gives somebody just enough of a of a fork in the road that they can then veer completely off course exactly and I, you know we were talking about it too but it's it is like that cross-pollination of uh religion and everything with american politics and things when uh, like christianity is upheld as like this badge of honor then simple things like uh scientific skepticism and doubt are ridiculed as they are in the bible like doubt is a terrible thing to have <laughs> you know, so you have to be convicted and everything. And so if someone gives you like just a little bit of fuel to light that conviction fire of grievance or whatever against people who might be skeptical about things or like provide like a doubt in in the reality to what you believe your conviction is in your chest, that's just more further confirmation of why you're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's we need to do Christianity soon. Um, <laughs> we do it a I little mean, bit every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I've got so much stuff that I want to dive into on the Mormons. Um, the I'm listening to the Thirty Years War podcast uh, by Matt Chrisman and Chris Wade. That is fascinating. Um, have you listened to it at all? No, I haven't started it yet. One? I haven't started it yet. I don't know. Do you know much about that stuff? Because I, I only tangentially learned about it like in college in my church um, history kind of class. Yeah. But. So I know about it, but what I know about it is from private high school 
directly from History of the English-Speaking Peoples as written by Winston Churchill. So my... <laughs> I might have some biased things that I learned when yeah. learning about it. <laughs> I haven't gone back yeah. to fact check what my original source was when I learned about it when I was 14 or 15 years old. It's just, it's so good that they're, because I think they're both like fairly smart. I'm a big, you know, Matt Chrisman fan because he's, uh, he's, he's, very out there on a lot of stuff but he's able to at least tie it in to how you can get to that point through a political lens Mm -hmm. like talking about certain things which i think is helps make stuff that i don't agree with at least make more sense yeah you know um and but they're able to put it all into political terms when it comes to the reformation which Believe it or not, Baylor was not willing to do. Uh, it's, you know, like they they certainly talk about things like the Anabaptists as just these martyrs <laughs> right, that right. were, uh, you know, s- cut down and drowned because they thought people needed to choose to be baptized. In um, did not mention that they took over like Catholic cities and burned the cathedrals and then forced everyone to rebaptize or killed them, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, it's interesting that all of that stuff happens because the only thing going for like pop culture wise or culture wise was religion. So mm-hmm. everything was couched in religion, including politics, so far as that anything political that went on it seems like we only learned about it through the religious lens yeah as opposed to like like the thing where they there's like this group of people i forget who um but there's this group that they're like you know uh god enters into the bread and that's why we're sharing the body of christ versus the bread becomes god yeah which I, I thought that was transubstantiation. I uh, know trans sure is when you hold it up and the Holy Spirit enters the bread above your head oh, okay. when you're doing the ritual. And then what is the bread being God? Transformation. Um, yeah, or, or the or it's more of a metaphorical thing. But like the the thing that they do in Catholic Mass, I believe, is they're drawing the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the into the wafers when they hold them above to bless them. Same with the cup and everything. I don't know which, which one it is now, but back then I, it seems to be, and maybe I got this crossed, but like the Catholic church was like, the bread is God. And then these people were like, no, God enters the bread and they had a war over it. Mm -hmm. Um, which sounds insane (laughs) that they would have a war over it, but that's not, what the war was over the war was over the political control of the catholic church over this region yeah and this region just happened to have this different political culture or this different religious culture when it came to the eucharist um but my whole life it was taught to me like in that perspective that lens that no the catholic church really wanted to get rid of them saying this because that was of the devil or whatever when really the catholic church just wanted to keep maintain taking, yeah taxes from that region um so it's it's like 
I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, I don't think about that stuff too often on my own. Maybe if I thought about it deeper, I could like kind of be like, wait, something seems fishy there. But it's just so nice to like have it illuminated right in front of you like that, you know? Yeah. And it goes, it also goes back to that awesome guy's point from last week or two weeks ago who wanted to, who's blaming literacy for every, all the problems and ills of humanity. You know, in a way that the origin of the Reformation is the simple act of all of a sudden for the first time everyday person was able to read the Bible for himself. Yeah. And that's like, if there hasn't been a lot of time for the everyday person to just sit in free thought as it is because they aren't literate. So they, they probably daydream and they have other, like they have an intellectual experience in their head, but it's not informed in the way that it is once you gain literacy and you can read things. And if you've had everything cherry picked <laughs> out of the Bible by the by only these priests are allowed to read it to you and it's their interpretation of it that you must, you know, swear your allegiance to and follow your life. Um, then you read it for yourself and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't know. This one doesn't seem like it's the way that they said it was. Um, yeah. And it's the first time where you have this big split of uh, intellectual like honesty on who had your best interest in mind and all that type of thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it also shows that there is an appetite completely for people kind of being like, this indulgences thing is like, I'll do it, but come on, this feels pretty fishy. <laughs> yeah. And then once they, you know, like, uh, I was also listening to uh, Matt Chrisman on the QAnon Anonymous podcast because uh, they were talking about like conspiracy theories during this time, like the Rosicrucians, mm-hmm. Rosicrucians, um, and stuff like that. And it was just they're describing it that it's it was like a flame war between like Luther and then Reformationists versus the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church even recognized like they're beating us <laughs> in the publications. Like yeah. people are so more interested in the contradictions of the church than they are the church telling them what to do dude they were printing memes yeah they were printing memes (laughs) and putting them up all over the town square showing like about the contradictions and stuff it was like twitter (laughs) of the time yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i gotta show you this thing real quick okay Uh, when was the last time you were at church oh god uh it's probably for a funeral about 10 years ago okay so they didn't do the Eucharist then and COVID didn't exist. No, yeah, no, no, none of that. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, <laughs> so I went to my friend's art show this past weekend. Uh, she's an amazing artist. Her name is Sydney Walters. Um, and I recommend everyone check out her stuff if you're interested in the interplay of gender and power when it comes to religion. Okay. Um, she grew up Christian. Uh, I can't remember what. I don't think it was like fundamentalist or anything, but a lot of her stuff is playing around with the idea of like how gender is portrayed in uh, Christianity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, she had her first solo show um, and it was really awesome to see. And she added these little uh, communion things. Oh, it is. It's the exact same little plastic chalice that uh, we would get. That's so cool. 
Did you did you have like this type of thing where it was prepackaged? No, it was the little shot glass, the little plastic shot glass part on the top was for the grape juice because yeah. you know Baptist Church is not wine. Now right. they're not giving you wine like they do in in the Catholic Church, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and then the uh, the bread would be passed around like on a big silver plate, like the same plates they would use for right, offerings, right, right. and then everyone would take one little corner of it as you pass it down the row. But yeah, I've well, never this seen one, it like prepackaged with the bread in there too. Yeah, can you see it in there kind of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's, cool. So these um I'll like post a picture of it, but this is how they do communion now because of COVID. Ah. Um but you know, she was like doing it because it's kind of funny that it's like now become so impersonal. Like the the thing that I always thought was like kind of cool of uh, what did we even call it in Baptist church? I forget. Communion? Yeah, just communion. Um, it, it was that every, like you're passing that silver plate around, like everyone is grabbing from the silver plate, mm-hmm. you know? And it's kind of interesting watching like the interplay. Like is someone looking for like a, a juicy looking cracker? <laughs> like, you know, right, like right, right, right. Like, oh man, or, I'm really thirsty. I don't want to take the little half full, half right. full shot glass. Give me the one to the brim. Yeah, and that was always interesting because you have to, I don't know, it's very, the way that it was like done that you're like taking care because you don't want to spill the little silver thing. Yeah, yeah. And to my recollection, nobody ever dropped it. No, and we had the little like cup holders on the back of the pew, you know, that were just the right size for the little shot glass to fit in. Yeah. You know? Um, but I mean, even like it. the tray. Oh yeah, the tray was like that metal thing that had a bunch of little holes in it that all the right. little shots fit inside of, and it had like the top that was <laughs> pulled off like as a gourmet dinner platter or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always fascinating. But I thought, I thought, like I love this little thing. Um, she meant for you know people to take like drink them or whatever. Mm. Um, but I'm gonna just keep it. Because we have some of her. Well, just in, you as just well. you just keep it in case you know you ha- suddenly like have a heart attack on the street and you know it's your last <laughs> time. You quickly give yourself your last rites, do your last communion, make sure I, all your bases are covered. <laughs> the earth starts splitting open, and I down it real quick. No, I would always get in trouble at church because I like the grape juice so much, and we mm-hmm. do it, and then you know it's like the little plastic cup. And you're a kid, oh, yeah. and so you're like <laughs> sucking it in your mouth, and you're like suctioning it to your cheeks and stuff, yep. <laughs> and yeah. making a bunch of noise. And eventually, like, you break it, and it like right. snaps right in the middle, and then creates a sharp edge. And inevitably, like, you cut your tongue or you cut your lip, and it starts bleeding. And then your yeah. mom's trying to fish out like tissues from her purse in order to stop the bleeding, so you don't get it on your church clothes. It's is a whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you like you stick your tongue all the way in it, and then you learn about negative pressure. But yeah, yeah, like exactly. Kind of pulling it back, <laughs> <laughs> clinging and it between your teeth. It's it's, but it is more of like uh, I feel like those more pilgrimage type of communion, uh, Easter type of experiences when you do something like that as a kid, because you are really getting into the suffering aspect. Like you, you don't just want to do the 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 good Friday dinner, you got to do like where you're flogging yourself, carrying a cross up a hill, you know, the next day to really, to really do it right for Jesus. Right. Or like those people that actually put themselves up on a crucifix for two days, every Easter, you know, (laughs) they really do. 
I've never seen it in in person though. <laughs> well, it's, a lot of it's like in South America. Yeah, colonialism yeah. still drives a hard bargain when it comes to their the version of Christianity they were forced on. More about Palm Sunday. I just hold out my hands and go <laughs> look at these. <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, I find this topic to be fairly interesting because it's something that people have obviously dealt with for quite a while Mm -hmm. it seems but it's also an extremely modern problem and it's one of those ones where it shows you like we're advanced but we're nowhere near understanding like healthcare, (laughs) right right as like a world (laughs) and i think um from the obesity perspective, I think it's important to try to learn as much as we can from the evolutionary biology genetic angle because that does more to inform the way that behaviors should be um, considered from a societal aspect than just the way that we do everything in America and treat it as if it's a personal responsibility issue. And then if you don't have the willpower, you're just weak. You're not one of us amazing uh, industrialists that are just self-made gods. <laughs> not really yeah, worthy the, of being an American, you know, kind of kind of attitude about it. There was like, you know, it's it's weird looking back. I don't know if you have any of these moments happen to you. I'm sure you do. But looking back on like childhood and going like, there really was a seed of something there that is now like a a huge kind of culture war aspect mm-hmm. um, that was brewing. Like I remember sitting on the bus one day. I can't remember going home or something. And there, the kid I was sitting next to, he just like started going into the screed about how he hated fat people. Yeah. And I was just like kind of like okay that's fine like i get it that you're angry about this but um i don't know it seems so odd to me and now like that's a very (laughs) right-wing kind of thing uh because it falls so far in line with the like personal responsibility aspect right of how people view uh, obesity or just weight management, I suppose. Um, so I don't know. I feel what like it's you? also one of the few actual horseshoe issues. Like you get the really granola pe- hippie liberal people too that also treat it as if it's like some personal responsibility character failing. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's it's like weird how, how you get both sides of the spectrum either wanting to sell you a supplement or sell you a plan of natural things that will do the same, you know, snake oil <laughs> to because you're just such a slob that you can't get your shit together type of attitude behind everything that they're trying to say. Yeah, I mean, sidebar, I have seriously been considering selling snake oil <laughs> and like here's an ancient topical medicine that uh that uh big pharma tried to tamp down in the 1800s yeah yeah um yeah it's 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 one of those things that's like i don't know it's it falls uh 
so recently in time that there has even been like an interest in studying the actual science of it, which just goes to show how like how much bias there is in medicine. Um, you yeah. Know. And, and, it, and the biases when, were baked in like before even anyone understood genetics or evolution even a little bit or it had even like posited it as a hypothesis, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, imagine in obesity wasn't such an epidemic before that time. Like, you know, there was obesity, but it it seemed to be a at then a personal failing sort of thing or or gluttony or, okay, well, you're rich. You get to just eat all the time or something as opposed to, uh, you know, compare it to race or how mm. those things would be considered. Like that's way far baked into, uh, medicine. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, um, you know, you yeah. know, black people can't feel pain. So <laughs> we'll just keep believing that even though it's 2023 now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, what was the, I saw like the 60 minutes, um thing oh we're uh, talking about how all the big fatties <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't i was talking they was talking about the new medicine oh no no i thought you were talking about the one from the 80s where they're like oh no, no can you believe how huge people are and they're just like bringing up picture after picture of people and mike wallace is just like whoa fatties just <laughs> basically the whole time <laughs> no, no. <laughs> jeez uh, no, this uh, person, I was trying to find the actual paper, but she writes a lot. Uh, but this Dr. Stanford, I think her name was, from the 60 Minutes bit. But she went um, to Cornell, not Stanford. Uh, sure. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she works at Boston or something. I don't know. Anyways, she 79 to 90% of doctors in the U.S. have significant levels of bias against obese patients. Um, which I think, you know, knowing that that is like a current percentage, mm -hmm. a current study, and it was literally 10 years ago now that the American Medical Association recognized obesity as a disease, uh, which has its own, you know, meaning to it. Like that, that carries weight in the medical yeah field it's not say a something is a disease it's not a slur anymore when they call it a disease but the, that's the societal problem is it's off, obesity is not used as a disease term or a, a medical term from like aids is or whatever it's used as a pejorative so yeah it's not like the word in of itself and the definition is not a a uh, a hate term, but that's the way anyone who is uses it and anyone who hears it hears it because it all it does is just ring true of all of the or not ring true, but rings in their head that the criticism of that means that I am a person of lower character quality and moral failing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it also means that the medical society has to recognize that this is something that is outside of just the control of the person mm -hmm. like you know diabetes is a disease you cannot just not eat sugar and then you're going to cure it or not have it right. or whatever like it takes it can take some personal uh efforts i suppose but it takes 
more than that to overcome it. And that's where the genetics uh, really plays like a heavy, heavy role in why it's classified as a disease. Yeah. And this gets back the, this gets back to the snails episode where we talked about behavior and Mm -hmm. how the genetics are, you know, determining what your behavior is based upon the environmental pressures you're put in with the genes you have. So you might be a situation in a situation where if an environment is in a certain way, even if your genes uh, skew towards you having these type of famine responses and you have the this decrease in leptin in your brain or an increase in leptin in your brain, um, if you're in a certain type of environment in a certain time in history, that does not affect your behavior negatively and cause you to become obese. But if you are in <laughs> time since like 1975 and your environment is such as it is in like a industrialized, capitalized nation like America or in Europe or England, um, then that the environmental pressures are going to cause behavioral decisions you're not going to be in charge of the decision like the genes are going to be expressing the behavior that will result based upon the environmental pressures of the situation you're in um so if there is food around all the time and you have the genetic predisposition that just says i have to keep eating because there's a famine around the corner you're going to keep eating because the food's always there and it's not enough to just say oh, well, don't you get it? Like, just stop eating because you're not really hungry. Just stop. No, you actually feel the disastrous pains of hunger. Like, if I don't eat, I'm going to die. That is the signal your body is giving you constantly. And it's not like a thing where you can just decide not to feel that way. Yeah, it's the way that the person put it in that podcast, the BBC one, uh, really illustrated like what it means that Humans and really almost all living creatures have a universal response to starvation Mm -hmm. if we're actually starving. Where the genetics comes in and that plays into our behavior is when we have an abundance of food, there's different ways that people act. Um, And some of them, it is this like this protein pathway, this hormone pathway that's is mutated at some point and so their their body doesn't get the signal it's very you know cool that it comes from like leptin as the main source Mm -hmm. that this is a hormone that's made out of fat um which i don't think is like that rare for hormones to be made out of fat i think i think like cholesterol makes is a precursor to like a ton of hormones okay um I'm trying to remember, but I can't, I don't know. That's organic chemistry stuff. Um, And the level of leptin increases when you have more fat stored up in your body. And this is literally just a measure for your brain to understand how much food storage you have, like how long you can last without eating. Um, And this is like evolved from before humans existed oh yeah this is this is this is still like lizard brain stuff yeah this is this is like 
if you were to talk about humans in the Serengeti, then it's, you know, they hunted an antelope. And as he said, say you spent 2000 calories hunting down an antelope, you need to eat 200 calories to then completely survive, you know, the next day, essentially Mm -hmm. really like a few weeks, but whatever. Um, and then your brain knows hunting an antelope doesn't happen every day. I don't have this 2000 calories just coming in constantly. So I kind of need to overeat right now, but your brain signals for you after you replenish like your calories, it signals for you to get the high calorie per gram foods into your body, which are like fats and sugars. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why like after a big meal, you can, you know, some of us can still fit in dessert because our brain is like, well, sugar is like necessary to survive this long period of time before we're able to go to Outback Steakhouse again. Yeah. You know, Um, and I loved that he described that this occurs with bears who don't wear pants. By the way. <laughs> um, they, whenever they're hunting salmon or whatever you would call them, you know, scooping the salmon out of the river, they start off in preparation for hibernation, eating the whole salmon near the end of it. Once they're very, very full, they stick with only the skin and the fat below the skin because those are the high fat parts. Like they're able to stuff in some, salmon skin and that's um, not a conscious decision that's no the the them reacting to that signal for that receptor in their brain from the leptin that's saying okay this is what we're craving now this really high fat content stuff yeah and then once they get the fat level up enough your body or their body or you know everything's body is creating so much leptin that your brain is constantly getting this signal so it's like okay i have enough food store to last the winter or to last the next you know uh migration of antelope to come through or whatever mm-hmm. you know um so it's just fascinating that it's like you have an internal gas tank for how much fat you have, which is, you know, pretty much the same thing because that's can be turned into energy very well. Right. And it's the evolutionary tale is that never in the evolutionary development was there abundance on demand right. food, which means that we evolved in the absence of it. We evolved am- amongst famine. We evolved amongst starvation. Um, pretty much all animals evolved amongst being able to figure out how to niche out starvation cycles. Um, so now we're here with abundance and on-demand everything and a capitalist, you know, setup to be like drive those prices home because it's not that, and I, this is another one of those things where the problems with capitalism are a bunch of the unintended consequences. Um, Capitalism isn't noticing, oh, wait, there's this genetic mutation thing that's going on from all this baggage of famine cycles that we evolved with. And now because we can, you know, have McDonald's on every corner, we can satiate that desire for people, but they're still going to keep coming back because they're never going to get enough. And uh, now we can sell them burgers, uh, you know, to become these billion dollar companies. It was more of the free market decided 
but it wasn't the free market deciding. It was the genes that were deciding. But the free mm. market decided that the behavior was everyone wants this stuff. So let's get, you know, tons of fast food, tons of cheap, high sugar, high fat food available to everyone because that's what everyone's buying. Um, they were responding to market forces, not environmental pressures, which that's that's the thing is like if you look at this through a evolutionary lens, you can easily see like, OK, there's some societal things that we can curb here that will not magnify the downside behaviors that are being um, caused by these genes that are how they manifest in certain people. Um and you could make actually like science informed decisions about how that would go at, for for your society. But if your whole thing is just based upon what the free market decides, the free market is often going to choose to reward and incentivize things that are very damaging to people because they want to just keep doing damaging things to themselves. Yeah, I mean, this in this is like why it's so beautiful to view things through like this political lens too, because it goes hand in hand with things like the climate, like immediately. If you like, we keep saying, you know, fats and whatever, but if you're looking at like the, the molecular structure of triglyceride, it is barring a few oxygens. It is carbons and hydrogens. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, you can say it's a hydrocarbon that your body can use. And what else did the free market decide we needed uh, to destroy society for? It's oil. Yeah. Um, and it's so you can just see how these things are so interwoven and understanding the science of it can help you also have this like big picture view of all of this stuff is so interconnected and it's driven in a way that is not following any sort of uh, scientific approach that would keep it from spilling over into, hey, we might have an apocalypse in the next 200 years. <laughs> right. You know? And it makes it easy because you can just keep running the same personal responsibility playbook. And ultimately, it's the fault of the individual for their plight. Not everything, <laughs> the entire environment and genetic profile of and baggage that they have of millions of years of evolution piled into them being inside of an environment that no one evolved inside of or to be able to, you know, navigate. Luckily, right. we are the thing that made us great was our adaptability as humans because of our brains. But it didn't mean that we get to we just automatically outthink obesity and destroying the planet and nuclear right. fallout and all the other things like we, we could adapt pretty well to not dying. But we are kind of also the the frog in the slowly boiling pot of water. Right. So the we've spoken about like the leptin thing, but how it actually plays into obesity in certain people is there's mutations in this pathway. Mm -hmm. Um and the simplest way to understand it is if there's a mutation in leptin formation, then when your body is filling up with fat um, and your body is then producing from that fat a mutated version of leptin that it's wanting to signal to the brain, okay, we have enough fat storage. If it's mutated, the the hormone does not fit the receptor. So your brain never gets the signal. 
We're back to the um, Lego pieces again. Yeah, it's exactly back to the Lego pieces, the key and the lock. It is just a physical, it's a mutation in the gene, which makes the protein form the hormone in the wrong shape, literally. And that's what causes your brain to not get the signal, um, which is, you know, why like this, the doctor in the 60 minutes thing, and then everyone else says uh, now correctly that it's like a brain disease when you're dealing with obesity mm-hmm. on this level because and i feel like that's a touchy way to describe it too for doctors sure it makes sense but for normal you know everyday people it sounds almost like okay so you're just saying they have a control issue yeah yeah you don't want to access it like oh it's a mental health thing so it's not right. uh it's not a it's a behavior thing like uh schizophrenia or something you know like, right um I, I mean i guess you can there might be nowadays more empathy for mental health causes than if you were just saying this is a digestive issue. Um, so maybe there's a silver lining there that maybe more people have right. empathy for that type of perspective. Um, but yeah, again, just like obesity as a diagnosis of a disease, terminology does not cross well with the societal definition of the term, you know. No, certainly not. Um, but it's also one of those things that it's like, what is it? It's in 2018, 42.4% of us adults, uh, have obesity. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think another third of us adults are like borderline. Uh, so there's like less than one third of us adults that do not have some, uh, genetic predisposition, I guess, that would lead them to uh, falling down this this hole that is like uh, irreversible through uh, discipline, I guess. Yeah, like that's the thing that it it's hard to describe like what you would even do because how many times like my own parents, um, my mom and stepdad are both. Uh, fairly large people and they my entire life that I had known them were trying all these different diet like tricks and Mm -hmm. whatever Um, so much so that now like my mom is so far down like the multi-level marketing oh yeah hole of like those powders that you would put in water because it's the thing that's going to trick you into whatever Um, it is like like me and my sister uh only recently like within the last four years realized like we didn't have food at home like for us Mm -hmm. there was like if we were hungry at any point it was like we'll have a slim fast (laughs) it's like you know that's not food for growing kids damn the amount Um, of slim fast i drank as a kid too (laughs) yeah (laughs) like you're not supposed to be drinking like diet. That's a lunch. That's a lunch. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good yeah. lunch for you. Go get a slim fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's during the summer and I got to work, so uh, I haven't been to the store yet. Figure it out. And that's like, you know, why I think uh, not to speak for my sister, but I think she would agree. We both have like difficulty with money, like understanding how it works 
because whenever it was like time for us to get a first job, the money went to like just buying food for like yeah. first I would buy it for like me and you know, sometimes my sister, I would get us like groceries or whatever, but it's like, that was the thing. It was like, well, you just have money for food. Um, and so th- other things that you would spend money on didn't make sense. Like right. I still feel extremely guilty buying a belt whenever one of mine snaps because it's like, <laughs> well, no, this is meant for food, you right. know? Um, but I think that kind of goes into the whole like political side of all of this that people have this precarity uh, of falling into poverty and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you have this higher level of stress at all times for the middle class, which has uh, the highest levels of obesity in the U.S. And then just a few percentage points below it is like the poverty class um, that has obesity level. So it's nearly the same, mm-hmm. but then that's, you know, two thirds of your classes, uh, obviously more people than that, but you have this feeling of stress and precarity that you're at any point going to slip into this poverty level. And then you know that you're not going to get any help from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that increases cortisol levels, which increases, you know, your brain's want for, fat retention or gaining higher energy stuff because you think you're going to be in a stressed situation um, on top of food abundance. Mm. So you do have this cheap fat food uh, everywhere that is readily accessible. Yeah, it is cheaper to buy your own groceries and cook your own food, but it's not that much cheaper. And there's a labor and time cost with that too. If you're already stressed out, Viewing it as now I've got to go home and spend 90 minutes cutting up all these vegetables and then my kids are going to be complaining because dinner's not ready. And, you know, am I going to am I going to fuck it up because I forgot about the chicken in the oven and all, all the other things that go along with it when you could just get a bag like a thing of Popeye's chicken and go home. Um, that's I default for the path of least resistance all the time. Um, that's just the way that I, I happen to have it, but I also happen to, my genetic mutation stuff is not on my, uh, is not causing me to have a a bad leptin receptor cycle. Um, but I still like do all the same behaviors that, you know, two or three nights a week, you, you know, you make the fast food choice or you, uh, drink too much and that's part of like a caloric intake thing too like just drinking beer it's not even getting drunk it's just like you're basically able to drink liquid bread bread and butter (laughs) right like that that is another thing um i it just i happen to have the thing where i get full and i stop um but it doesn't mean that i don't uh participate in all the same societal pressured behavior that everyone else does that might just end up with worse consequences because they don't have the governor in their head that holds them back yeah and so that's that's where like the genetic inheritance of obesity then comes into play is obesity is somewhere between 40 to 70 percent genetically inheritable um and that means that there is recognition, not definitive 
um, it's this, this, and this, but there is recognition there. There are these environmental factors. So again, if you can start to view the world through the more political lens and tie in science, you're going to have way more answers yeah. <laughs> to things um, that currently like the, the society doesn't necessarily recognize for those sorts of ills. Well, and that, that's the other thing is uh, the uh, prescriptions or the remedies that society uh, boasts for um, obesity is often not helpful either. <laughs> like, yeah. the, one, you know, people have been talking about how dieting is like a failed practice for 25 years of my life, the last 25 years of my life. Like in the 90s and 80s part of my life, diets all the rage everyone's got to do them like the last 25 years has been more like eh, maybe we didn't know what the hell we were talking about with these diets <laughs> yeah because uh, everyone does a different one and you know based upon maybe you go high protein and it leans you out maybe someone else does and their body freaks out and starts to hold on to everything and you actually get heavier there's what your dna is is like the big de determining factor in a lot of that stuff um not to say that like having a nutritionally balanced diet and knowing these things about um, societal pressure, environmental pressure, and how they affect the behavior based upon your genetics, um, you can, that's where like free will is not, is an illusion, but like your consciousness is a real thing where you get to watch it on a delay and you can then be like, okay, I have had these types of behaviors and I've noticed that I'm more susceptible to doing these types of things if I don't set up a schedule or if I don't have someone there to like always be reminding me about the nutrition aspect of it. Cause, cause a lot of people also because of this leptin um, receptor deal, there is like mindless eating. It's not even like you went to the cabinet because you felt hungry and you knew you were going to go get something out of the cabinet to eat. You ate it and you didn't even know that you ate it. Like it's, it just happens. It's, it's a complete involuntary response. Um, so there, there is like a little bit of control within the uh, behavior spectrum of what your genes do. But even then, you're talking about just a slight range of being the, the most excessive behavioral expression versus the least excessive behavioral expression. But they're all going to be generally in this small window. So you can have some control if you decide... I'm going to put tons of restrictions on myself. I'm going to put all these protections around me, sort of like um, alcoholics have to do. You know, I have to build this stuff because if I don't have all this fortress around me, I'm just going to do the same repetitive behavior that I've always done. So that's like one angle to it. But then again, even in those types of things, even in like AA, um, it is still kind of couched as like a personal responsibility, <laughs> like fail. If you fall off, it's like you're failing type of uh, type of deal, which is that's the toughest part to erase from the preconceived notion of all of this as if it's uh, just a, a failing of willpower. And then secondly is because society doesn't want to accept that it is uh baggage environmental we don't have the free will to really control this individually um they also society seems reluctant towards pharmaceutical intervention like 
sort of there that the same reluctance that there is with like ph- a pharmaceutical intervention with mental health. Like, oh, do you really want to be taking the antidepressants type of thing? Oh, that's just making you numb to the world when like, no, those are like effective tools for people who might kill themselves otherwise if they don't have this stuff to help them work out their brain chemistry. Um, so if we do accept that it is a genetic disease and it has a thing that is going on in the brain, um, then it should not be like a queasy feeling about trying to approach this from a pharmaceutical angle that could correct it because I would think that that's the more likely option of trying to right the ship rather than trying to change all societal behavior and change everything else. Like the horse is out of the barn when it comes to, you know, fast food on every corner. We're not going to undo that in like the next 10 years and course correct for everyone. But there might be some pharmaceutical interventions that could genuinely help people that are in a in a terrible plight because they cannot control this. Um, and that's why originally when I started talking about this was when I saw that nature paper on Ozempic because like that stuff's been going around. You hear everyone hears the Ozempic commercials, the oh 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 Ozempic, but it's not it's not a drug that was developed for weight loss, but it happens to intervene in this specific genetic leptin chain and one of the side effects that people have noticed is 20 percent of body weight loss amongst people who are obese who get on ozempic um, because of how it it relates with this leptin cycle um and so it's kind of a happy accident and you know there's always the I grew up in the in the 80s and 90s when, you know, everyone was doing basically methamphetamine that was sold to them for weight loss drugs. And then all those companies got sued because everyone got hooked on it or died from strokes and heart attacks and, you know, FinFin and Redux and all that stuff. So I can understand why there's trepidation when anyone tries to enter the drug market with a weight loss thing, because that is kind of a, um, you know, the the holy grail of like the pharmaceutical industry. If someone could make this drug, like Pfizer, whoever does it is going to fucking bank even more than they could on a global pandemic vaccine. (laughs) It's going to be like huge. Um, So I can understand all the trepidation with, you know, crony capitalism and the way that the pharmaceutical industry works and all that. But there is also a role that they can play in helping the remedy of this situation that is probably more practical than, trying to change all of the environment yeah the the thing with like listening to the science of ozempic and you know we govi i think is another one Mm -hmm. the the nordo norodisc nordisc or whatever um the software company that makes medications from (laughs) sweden or whatever uh yeah it's it's it sounds strange because the way it's described is like, well, uh, it tells your brain that you're full, uh, which is, you know, true. Um, but that feels, I think, scary to some people because you're like, well, I'm going to need to eat. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a, it tells your brain you're full at the point of you're actually full. It's not keeping you from eating or like what any of those other ones, like, you know, the, gastric bypass surgery where it basically like 
makes your stomach small. So you're hungry, but you better only eat a little bit or you're going to have a terrible time for like a week trying to digest the overeating food that you did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the like bypass surgeries and stuff like that are so fascinating, too, because the the way that they're developed, like literally gastric bypass is so. I remember learning about it in my human physiology class because they're like, uh, you know, they essentially make the stomach smaller. So what happens with like the rest of the stomach and in like the, I think, original gastric bypass, they just like leave it in there uh, <laughs> because you then need the part where the pancreas uh, sends like digestive enzymes and stuff. Then it will send it down into the small intestine where it then uh, gets breaks down the food or whatever. And you don't just have the mechanical and acid breakdown of the food mm-hmm. quite as much. Um, but yeah, those... Those things, and they, you know, the surgeries do lead to like an 89% improvement in life expectancy Yeah, um, when people can have them. And 95% of patients report that their quality of life improves within three to six months after surgery. Um, But if you can just get like an injection, it seems to be way easier for people um to do obviously yeah like, than the, a surgery. the surgery is pretty invasive and the recovery is, doesn't seem like a, a cakewalk either and so yeah, i gotta and, think that that's even for people that really want it that's a huge barrier thinking well basically i'm going to be out of commission for three months type of thing before i can get and, back to normal and even just go to a restaurant with my friends or whatever you the amount of like preparation for it too for so many people like the people who would benefit the most from the surgeries uh can't have them you know yeah you got to demonstrate to get your insurance to pay for it you got to do this other all these other interventions first that prove to the insurance that it's not just a willpower problem (laughs) yeah the the insurance thing is pretty fascinating too that it's like they don't want to cover the obesity medicines, which then literally means they don't recognize it as a disease. Right. Like it's it's a vanity drug for insurances because they're like, well, you just want to look slimmer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's like the 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 way they treat uh, plastic surgery, you know, or cosmetic surgery yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, it's. Like it's it's fascinating that all of these things can be uh, used in different ways. Like Botox, for instance. Um, only recently did they discover, oh, this could actually like treat migraines. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Botox is a wild one. Just infecting yourself with a bacteria uh, that's you're going to have an inflammation response for a long period of time, and that's why your lips get more plump or or you or you do it in your armpits so you don't sweat so much in the summer yeah just literally pinching which <laughs> seems like it has its own downsides but <laughs> uh yeah so i mean i the the medication side of it like i don't know i'm not one to really take too much medication myself so um i can certainly see a side of me that would be kind of like, ah, I don't know about that. 
But when you've tried like everything and you have a lifetime for most people of like stigma uh, attached to your size and weight on top of the actual physical, um, you know, you're more predisposed to actual unhealthy Oh, yeah. uh, your skeleton is diseases. your skeleton's going under a taking a big toll. Right. Yeah. And then you just have like f- more physical pain uh and things like that. Um I could certainly see like injecting myself with an EpiPen in the thigh. What is it? Like once a week mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um is not that big of a deal, especially when probably some people are dealing with diabetes and already having to do blood tests themselves. and everything all the time or insulin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it sucks <laughs> that like rich people are just buying it just to be thinner oh, themselves. Yeah. It's like the ads, all the ads you saw on TikTok when you were looking it up. It's just like God. fancy cosmetic surgeons from LA. Like, look, I got another one, 85 pounds down in 20 days or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it, it's weird because I know those people who they're advertising to. Because it was like, that was the thing that it was like all the news stories you look up with these medications are like, oh, it's trending on TikTok. It's like, all right, well, what does that mean? Uh, Again, try looking anything up on that website. (laughs) You're not going to find anything useful. Yeah. (laughs) It's not supposed to be for use. It's just supposed to be for obsession and never stopping looking at it. Yeah, well... I don't know. I can't really obsess over those things. I'm not too interested in it. <laughs> they haven't they haven't specialized the algorithm yet that really gets you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days they'll get it right. They'll get it right and then you'll be hooked. Just not yet. <laughs> they haven't found yours yeah. yet. <laughs> I mean it's it is interesting that like that stuff gets trending on things that common people use. Um and again going back to like the the poor and middle classes uh essentially outpacing the upper tier even though obesity has started to creep into that Mm -hmm. level of wealth um the stressors of living near poverty or in poverty again it just it's driving me nuts and i'm trying to not get you know i'm not like somebody who gets outraged looking at Twitter or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll get peeved. Um, I'll be upset about stuff. Not a big fan get, of sending... Get ticked off. Right. Get real ticked off. Not a fan of sending tanks to Ukraine. Um, <laughs> what about the German ones that have the Iron Cross on them, though? Are you cool about those ones? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, my it's God. Like, why don't we just keep the branding from World War II? I think it looked cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Pope wears it. I mean, that's what we're uh, kind of known for was all our tanks. That was kind of the whole deal. The Blitzkrieg yeah. and everything. So we wouldn't want to lose that identity. I mean, that's why uh, people in the Marine Corps <clears throat> laud... What was the um, the German like tank commander in Rommel? Africa? Rommel? Yes. Yeah. The, the, um, the guy <clears throat> who lost D-Day? I did not know... He was a Nazi until I was in my 20s because of 
just people, how much people just stoked on this desert tank commander just doing yes. a different he was in a different war it's like not even part of the <laughs> yeah the, the um, weird australian theater that everyone forgets of world war ii <laughs> uh but i i find it interesting that while we have this precarity and you know um sorry i don't think we're gonna splice this into when i was on this rant 20 minutes ago but the thing that annoys me the most right now is how much information is coming out on like Yellen and all of the the treasury and the fed and everyone's saying like you know what industry um fire five to seven percent of your employees because we need a large number of unemployed people so that everyone who has a job is so worried about becoming they're, unemployed. They're, they're so happy saying, yes, master, thank you for giving me this job. I'll work for less. Yes, master, please, please be kind right. to me, master. Yeah, and I mean, it goes in line. Like the the things back when I was like in business communications in Japan and I was looking up like those, you know, the, the UN SDGs, um, all of the like sustainable development goals for businesses to show that they're committed to climate uh justice or or literacy around the world and all that kind of stuff it is known in the corporate community that those things people don't choose companies based on how uh i guess virtue signaling they are Mm -hmm. what it does do it is is it allows you to hire people at lower wages yeah. and retain employees. Like that's the benefit of all of those things for companies. Um, and, you know, it's greenwashing a lot of the time, uh, but it's something that is literally just used as a yoke mm-hmm. <laughs> for workers to keep them in line uh, and not question their their company's practices or what they're doing at a company because like, well... We donated pants this year yeah. to twenty five homeless people. Like it's it's the same thing with the the privatized healthcare industry being attached to your employment. You know, yeah. Like you will retain the job and you'll accept lower wages and you'll even call your employer great because you have a decent health plan with only like a eight thousand dollar deductible <laughs> and a yeah. twenty five thousand out of pocket minimum for or out of pocket max for your family or whatever because that means that you don't have to pay two thousand dollars a month and your own out of your own pocket for something else um rather than which makes you rather than questioning why it's not yeah, just you don't available. not just that you don't even question any of the stuff that happens at your company because they're kind of your benefactor and the reason you're not one sickness away from losing your house you know um and it's it's way easier for companies to like operate without much scrutiny if everyone has to just stay in line because it's a survival aspect of it which that's the the, the real biggest fear of universal health care is that everyone will have ultimate job mobility and be able to go anywhere they want they won't be like oh shit i'd love to leave for that other job but man, then I'm going to have to pay for my Cobra plan for five months and that's like $1,500 a month and this new startup isn't really offering insurance and I'm going to be screwed if I do that. I guess I'll just keep working for Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it's... And I love how it it 
wraps into the messaging too of like everyone can be an entrepreneur yeah yeah um if everyone's an entrepreneur then what is <laughs> you have no workers that you're trying to corral into working for you but they know that not everyone's going to be an entrepreneur they'd rather people attempt to make a business and then fail and then be desperate for anything so that they'll go uh deliver treats i mean that is part of the entrepreneurial myth um one that anyone can do it that's you it takes a certain type of person to be able to start a business and have the fortitude to like do all the shit that goes along with it and then be good enough to actually pay your employees and not take advantage of people and all of those types of things. But two, the idea is more a banking concept. Uh, if we can, we will give small business startups loans all the time. We'll just keep loaning them money and then they'll use that money and they'll hire, you know, 10, 20 people. And then if it works out, like maybe they'll be able to pay that loan back in five years and the business will keep going. If it doesn't, well, it's not. It's no different to the economy because we had employed 20 people for two years and now they're out of a job and they just have to go to another place that's going to employ them for two years. And it's really just whoever the person was that took out the loan that has to deal with that. And if it is a smart business person who started it, they know how to protect all of their personal assets from their corporate assets. So then they just file bankruptcy for that one. And then maybe that loan never gets paid off or whatever the bank, you know, writes that one off. And then that person in a few years is able to get another small business loan and do the whole thing again. It's a way of propping up the econom economy with failure, <laughs> but, yeah. but never like creating any kind of longstanding stability. Yeah. It's, it's insane to me that, uh, this this gets perpetuated but you know um as long as we just keep giving money to the cops they'll be able to that's, keep us calm see, that's the interesting thing when um when you have the right hard right wing republicans in texas who are like had the anti-fat cop bill that they introduced because they they really love cops but you know uh -huh. it's kind of disrespectful to have fat cops so the, the they put in all like the weight restrictions and the physical uh, requirements. You have to pass all this physical testing and the weight waist size. Like cop uniforms are only going to come up to like a thirty eight pant. If you can't fit in thirty eight waist, you're not on you're not on the force type of thing. Um, so you have this like. I wonder if there is that weird intersection that comes back around to where like cops will be like, we need this fucking Ozempic. We need we're gonna we yeah. need like a million dollar annual budget for Ozempic to keep to make the leanest killing force that we possibly can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty insane. The I mean the the thing too with like judging uh, obesity that like not to get on another tangent of everything because we're winding down, but just knowing that like BMI was created in like the 1830s in <laughs> <Yes>. Austria, <laughs> measuring only Austrian men, um, you know, knowing that that is not like used as the standard for any person in modern society <laughs> um, to be judged as obese or whatever. When like, you know, for the, the thing with like fat retention is, for certain ethnic groups, like for Asian people, it is uh, more unhealthy to have like a BMI of 
25 because just the way that genetics have occurred, uh, fat retention hasn't been something that was like that big of a problem there. So Mm -hmm. it is, it is much higher for, um, where is it? The, Oh Jesus. Well, that's where, that's where you have the difference of different segments of the population are born with different, um, stores of those types of fats that actually burn calories. There's like that certain whatever 10% of your body fat is like the fat you're born with that burns and it's like distributed behind your shoulder blades and then your like love handles. Um, yeah. But you can decrease that and that can be bad. So if you like, if if you get down from all of the, the unwanted fat just to like that native fat again and then you're like, oh, I still need to cut and you start cutting that down, then that's detrimental to your health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you literally need fat to make things. Like, you have fat to make stuff, like, in your cells to make cell walls and to also add sort of lubrication, uh, or not cell walls, cell membranes, so that you can add lubrication as well so that things like proteins can come in and out. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, you know, you'll be dead. (laughs) Yeah, the the judgment thing is... I think the major underlying factor that is going to be the preventative thing of having an effective um, remedy that it's going to be the the judgment group that is like keeping everyone two steps forward, one step back on this cycle here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Clint, I hope you've changed your thoughts since uh, seventh grade. <laughs> Do you remember his name? <laughs> I remember his full name. Oh, well. I'll DM it to you. you know, put him on blast. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, well, excellent job learning us on on some leptin and some some genetics. You're my you're my go to you. you're my go to biologist. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a mistake. <laughs> All right. Until next week. Bye. And some some genetics. You're my you're my go to you're my go to biologist. Oh, well, that's a mistake. <laughs> All right, until next week. Bye.